Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. This morning I want you to imagine that you are back in school, all right? So maybe if you are in school, just think about tomorrow, okay? <laughs> David, just get yourself back at the OU, you're in class that you don't even really want to take, but you're there. Now imagine that you're back in school and you're in a class that is incredibly important. It's serious. It's a subject that you actually like to learn about, so it's one of the rare ones. It's a subject that's very important to your future. You know that you got to get this class right because this class determines whether you're going to know what to do and how to do what you really want to become in the future. And so you know that your future is contingent upon you doing well in this class. And so the teacher begins explaining all the expectations of the class like attendance and the readings you're going to have to do and the different things that are going to be happening in the class. And then finally, the teacher comes back around and says, okay, the final and only grade for this class is going to be a group project. How do you feel about that? You know, depending on the kind of student you were, that is either the best news you've ever heard or the worst news you could ever imagine. It's the best news for the slackers, right? Those that maybe don't work as hard or maybe don't try as much as they should. It's worse news for those who are the hardworking, who show up, who do their best, who carry the load, so to speak. And I won't ask for the show of hands of the slackers that are in here that might have a hard time with this analogy, but I don't want to embarrass us, okay? So we're not going to um, raise our hands. But what I want you to do is imagine now you're in this class and you're the hard worker, okay? You're the one that shows up, you do the best you can, you, sh you work really hard, and your other two to three group members are not doing their job. They show up late to your group meetings, they're unprepared, they are interested in other things, they have other classes that are on their mind, other assignments they're thinking about, other places to be, and so in the meetings they're not even contributing to the discussion. They don't even care about the grade in this class. It's meaningless to them. They might even take it pass-fail. Who cares if I get a D that still gets a P on the report card, right? So it doesn't matter. And they leave you to do all of the work. Now, for a while, you sort of can hang in there. You know that this class matters. You know that it's important. And so you pick up their slack. Let's say you spend countless hours at the library all by yourself while they're out having fun doing other things. Let's say you finally then hit a point in this project. When you're all alone, you're at the library, you've done every part of the work, and you feel like all these partners in your uh, group project just haven't really done their job, and you finally hit a point where there's something that you don't know how to solve, something you don't know what to do about. It's too difficult. It's too challenging. You're not sure where to turn and how to fix it. And there is no partner who's there to help. Now, at this point in your group project, as you've probably moved through all the stages of grief, like frustration and anger and all those things, you might be into acceptance. The feeling of becoming overwhelmed, exhausted, and spent sets in. 
Now, that's a pretty terrible experience. To be the person who's sort of carrying the load, who's, who's making this group project happen, and nobody else is really contributing the way that you're contributing, or there are problems to the group, or they're making the group project difficult, that becomes kind of a terrible experience. It's overwhelming. It's burdensome. Now, here's what I want you to think about this morning. All of us have been given this sort of kind of assignment, this project. And it's the most important project that's ever been on your docket, ever been on your list. This project is the project of living your life well, living your life right, doing things the way that you're supposed to do them, being the kind of person that you know you want to be. That's the project you've been getting. And at some point in your life, what you're going to find out is that this assignment is actually not an individual project. It's actually a group project. Now, at first, living your life well, living your life right, having the kind of life that you are supposed to have, that you want to have, seems like an individual project, doesn't it? You live your life well, individual project. But as you go on through life, you quickly learn that there are partners in this project. You have partners like circumstances, your bodily health, your career opportunities, your work, staying in the workforce, staying employed financially, how you're doing. You have circumstances that come at you that are partners in this project. You have partners that are other people, like family members or friends, teachers, employers, a spouse potentially, maybe children in your life. You have other people that participate in this project of your life. And even you are a participant in this project. And so you've got to be wise and prioritize the right things and do the right things and make good decisions. And what we find out most often, almost all the time, is that the experience that I described about the classroom setting of having a project where nobody really is sort of pulling their weight and you get frustrated is the same sort of experience we have in life. Eventually we end up exhausted, worn out, fatigued. We're going to call it this morning, we end up being burdened down. As we finish our series, uh, Made for Mission, we're talking about how Christians have been called by Jesus Christ to take the mission of making disciples to the world. You've been called to do that if you're a Christian. And we've seen up until this point all the essence of what that mission looks like. And then who that mission goes to, and we've seen that the mission goes to the wayward and the broken and the exhausted. It goes to the outsider. And today we're going to see how that mission comes to those who are burdened down. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 11, offers probably one of the most beautiful invitations we've ever heard. It's simple. It's pure. It's not complicated. But it's big. And it's an invitation to those who are overly burdened, who are worn out, who are exhausted. And so I'm going to start this morning by talking to you about what the obstacles are for those who are burdened. You see, the burdened are those who are just exhausted and overwhelmed. That word burdened or heavy laden talks about someone who is doing work, who's doing labor, but has too much of a load put on them. In fact, the word burden is the word we get for the word freight that you would put onto a truck or onto a ship to transport somewhere. And that phrase that Jesus is using there is you're like a ship or a truck trying to carry a load and they have put too much of a load on you. It's, a, it's beyond the capacity of the truck. 
And he says the burdened are those who are just exhausted, overworked, overwhelmed. And they don't know where to turn. You know the questions I'm talking about. The statements we say to ourselves, what it feels like to be exhausted, burnt out, overwhelmed. The thoughts we have like, am I good enough as a worker at my job? Am I good enough as a student in my school? Am I performing well enough as an employee? Am I performing well enough on my team or my club? You know those thoughts we have like, am I a good enough spouse? Am I really doing a good job as a parent? I probably could be doing better as a Christian. And you're on this project of all these important things in your life, and you get burdened and overwhelmed, and the load is heavy. You see, the burden on this project can really beat us down, and there are a lot of things that can do this to us, but Matthew chapter 11 actually shows us three different instances when Jesus interacts with people where he shows us where these burdens come from, some examples. Now, they come from a lot of different places, but here are three that are major. The first one is this. We become burdened by discouraged by circumstances. At the beginning of the chapter, John the, John the Baptist sends some of, his mess, some of his disciples to Jesus. Now, John is a person who's been doing everything he can to do the will of God, the mission of God. He has been called to preach faithfully this message of repentance and returning back because the kingdom is coming. And in that faithfulness, he finds himself in jail. He's been faithful to God, and yet he's suffering. His circumstances have been beating him down. In fact, in jail, he's hit a moment in his life where he's saying, did I waste my time? Is Jesus really the Messiah? Are you sure you're the one? He begins to doubt. And so he sends messengers to Jesus to say, are you really sure you're the Messiah? You see, John has been beaten down by his circumstances, things out of his control. And some of you here may be experiencing some difficult circumstances like health or finances or relationship circumstances that are outside of your control, that are burdening you and beating you down. And when they pile up one after another, it can leave you incredibly discouraged. So after John's disciples leave, Jesus turns and he shows us that there are another way that we get burdened when we are disappointed by others. Jesus turns to the crowd and he says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see when you saw John? And he begins to critique them and say, listen, you went and you saw John and then you see me and neither one of us can please you. You're always disappointed with us. You saw John, you thought he was a religious fanatic and you thought maybe this man has a demon. You see me and you say, I'm a drunk and a glutton. I hang out with sinners. Nobody can make you happy is what he's saying to these people. You see, this is a hard reality about life, is that people in our lives do not actually have the power, the ability to give us the deep kind of rest of the soul that Jesus is offering us here. And so long as you look to people to give you the very thing that God is supposed to give you, you will constantly come up with the experience that these people are having, which is disappointment. There's not a person in this world that can bear up under the weight of your mind and your soul having rest. Nobody can do that but Jesus. And when you get that from Jesus, you're then free to enjoy the people in your life, to serve them, to care for them, to receive the good from them and let go of the bad. But as long as you come to people and say, I need from you only what God can give me, they'll constantly disappoint you. And some of you in here are burdened down because you're expecting from people in your life what only God can give you. And in those relationships, you're taking and not giving. 
We need to learn how to become servants in our relationship. And the only way we'll get there is to receive from Christ the rest of the soul, not from people. There's a third one here I want to show you. It's kind of a strange transition. He's talking to John's disciples. Then he turns to the crowd and says, nobody makes you happy. And then he turns and he says, he begins to condemn all the cities that he has done works in. And he says, woe to you, woe to you, all these cities. You haven't repented. And the third thing that really beats us down and makes us burden is not just discouragement or disappointment, but when we are defeated by sin. You see, these people have seen Jesus. They knew what he had done, but they were too hardened by their sin to turn back to Jesus when he showed his greatness to them. And some of you in here may be so twisted up in your sin. No, maybe people don't see it and know what it is. Maybe your sin isn't something that's on the outside of the body, but on the inside of the body. But some of you may be so twisted up in your thinking or your actions, your behavior, that when you're presented with Jesus Christ and he's calling for you, turning to him just seems like something that's impossible. And you're burdened down with sin that you can't get rid of. You see, at every point, these partners in your project, whether it's your circumstances in life, whether it's the people in your life, or even you yourself with your sin, these partners that are contributing to the project of your life are all going to fail. Yes, even you in this project are going to fail. It leaves us burdened, needing a deep soul level kind of rest because we're weary But this deep soul level weariness is not something that's simple. That's why simple gestures like, it'll be okay, feel better, cheer up, doesn't fix what we're dealing with, doesn't fix this exhaustion. And so Jesus has a better offer, and that's why we turn to this invitation, this offer to the burden. Jesus says three things he offers you. First of all, he says, come to me. Come to me. That's it. It's simple. Come close. What he's doing is inviting an investigation. Come explore. Come see who I am, what I am, what I'm about. You can't make a choice, a decision about me from a distance. You can't sit back and listen to what other people have said about me or your experiences with other people who've been around me decide if you should come to me. You see, so many people make a decision about Jesus Christ from a distance, either what they think they've heard about him or watching other people who claim to be his followers and they make a decision saying, I'm not coming to that guy, but they've never come to him. Too many people are representing Jesus except Jesus. And he's saying, you're come to me, you're burdened down, you're wore out, you're exhausted. I can help. What's there to lose? But you've got to come near. And now the thing is this, why should you trust him? Why should you trust Jesus to come near? And here's what he says, because I am gentle and lowly in heart. What does he mean by that? Is he weak and frail, gentle and lowly in heart? Is he timid and cautious? Is he the Hallmark movie that will console you when you just want to cry? Is that who Jesus is? Now let me tell you, gentle is a difficult English word. Because what that word really means is actually someone who fully possesses all of the power that you would need. That is, full of strength and ability, but chooses to deal with you tenderly. This is a hard concept, right? Because usually we're either powerful and dominant or tender and merciful. But Jesus says, I have all of the resources, all of the strength, all of the power that you would ever need in your life, but I choose to deal with you in a gentle, tender way. One of the best examples I can think of was a friend of mine named Willie Franklin 
who was very influential early in my life. And some of you may know Willie, some of you may not. In his prime, he was 6'3", 250 pounds, played in the NFL. And he is the darkest black man I've ever seen in my life. He's just huge, and he loves it. And he calls himself Uncle Chocolate. And he would come up and he would kiss white guys on their cheek and say, I'm going to give my chocolate to your vanilla because you need to be swirled up a little bit. He's a real funny guy, and he's a preacher. And when he preaches, he's loud, like a lion, just roars. And he was old school. He played football with Johnny Unitas, and his hands are just so strong. And he'd come up to you, man, he'd grab you with his hands and just make you wilt. He's powerful. So from a distance, you look at him, you say, this guy's scary. And then one time, I drove out to Missouri with some friends and spent a week at his house. And I wake up in the morning, he'd have pancakes ready for us. And we'd talk to him about what we were concerned about. He'd sit and he'd listen for hours. The man that couldn't be quiet would listen for hours. And he would say, I understand. He'd say, I've been there. This guy of giant, of massive power would come and be gentle. It reminds me so much of Jesus. He says, I'm gentle, meaning I've got the power. I've got the ability, but I'll deal with you tenderly. Come. And he says, I'm lowly in heart. What does that mean? I'm down, I'm depressed, I'm in the dumps? No. When he says, I'm lowly in heart, he's saying, the way I view myself in my heart, the way I see myself is in the lowliest position. What he's saying is, I'm gentle, I've got power and resources, but I'll be tender with you. And I see myself in your life as a servant of what you need. I'm lowly in heart. You see, all these people we interact with in life, at their best, try to do something for us. But Jesus says, I'm lowly. I'm your servant. I'm here to do what's best for you, what's right for you. Every resource I have, every strength I have will be directed at making your life better. I don't use you. I serve you. He said in Mark 10 that I did not come to be served, but I came to serve and give my life a ransom. Jesus has come to me. Why should you come to him? Because he is gentle and lowly in heart. The second thing he tells you to do is take your yoke, take his yoke. He says, take my yoke upon you. Now, a yoke was a instrument for a beast of burden. Now, now get this picture in your mind. I know we don't have many agricultural people in here, but a yoke was something that went around the neck of two beasts, two animals that would then be going into work. Now, we've got kind of a question here. Is Jesus going to, to the burdened people, put more of a burden on them? He says, take my yoke. Is he going to place another burden on their neck? It's sort of counterintuitive when he says, if you're heavy laden and you're burdened down, come to me, I'll put another yoke on your neck. Strange, right? But it's not exactly what he means. Why should you take his yoke? Well, he says this about his yoke. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden, it's light. You see, what he's saying is my yoke the thing I put around your neck, which means I guide you, I lead you, I direct you, we go my way. The yoke that I put on your neck is actually right for you. It's good for you. When he says it's easy, he doesn't mean it's simple or it's not going to be challenging. What he says is it's going to be kind to you. It's going to bless you. It's going to be good for you. The yoke around your neck is going to take you to the place where you want to go. My burden is light. What I place upon you is not heavy. It doesn't weigh you down. In fact, it lifts you up. You see, a yoke is something that binds you to another so that you begin to work as one. That's what a yoke is for. And all of us in here are yoking ourselves to things in this life. You yoke yourself to a job or to a spouse or to a community. You yoke yourself to decisions and principles and priorities. You yoke yourself to things. 
And all the while in this project of our life, we feel burdened down by what we're yoked to, especially our sin. And Jesus says, yoke yourself to me. I'm the one with power. I'll make this easy for you. I'll make it right. The third thing Jesus tells us is to learn from me. Let me show you a better way. Let me walk with you in a way that's going to be good for you. Learn from me. What do you have to lose? You're tired. You're exhausted, right? This has been hard. Life is difficult. Jesus says, come close to me. Come inspect me. I'm gentle. I'm lowly. I'll be your servant. I'll walk with you. Yoke yourself to me. It's going to be light. The burden's going to be easy. It's going to be good. Come and learn from me. But you've got to come and you've got to take this yoke because you can't learn from him without being one with him. And he shows you what the outcome is. Let me quickly show you this. What is the outcome of those who are burdened down, who come to Jesus, who take his yoke and begin to learn from him? Here's what the outcome is. The first thing is, it's a promise. He says, I promise you, I will give you rest. It's a future promise. You see, what's beautiful about Jesus when you're burdened down is that he doesn't offer you some pragmatic, human-centered solution. He doesn't say, hey, those of you that are burdened down, I've got a blog post on 10 ways to make your life happy. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, here are nine steps to fix all these things that you have going on in your life. And what's funny about us as humans is we think we will finally have rest. We will finally have joy. We will finally have peace when we understand why, how, and what we've got to do. When we have all the pieces in order, when we have all the sense made, we think we finally have peace when we know everything. But as Paul told us, there is a peace of God that passes, surpasses, transcends even what you understand. And so when Jesus says, I will give you rest, what he's saying is, come trust me. This is sort of like a way a parent would interact with a child when there's something about that child's life that's bigger than that child can understand and they've got questions that are beyond what their mind can comprehend and they're worried and they're flustered and they're upset about it and they come to the parent and the only answer that parent has is, you got me, trust me, it's going to be okay. And so Jesus promises you, I will give you rest. But it's not just about his promise, it's also about your process. You see, Jesus says, you will find rest. You notice there at the end? He says, you will find rest. That means that this rest is something you discover. This yoke, once you put it on, when you come and learn from Jesus and you yoke yourself to him, this rest that he offers you is something that is discovered incrementally, little by little. It's like you're going on a journey and you find it. That means that you can't just intellectually know about this rest in the future and have it in the present. You've got to walk through the process of coming to Jesus, of yoking yourself to Jesus and learning from Jesus. And in the process of doing that, little by little, you begin to understand the rest that he has to offer you. You can't always just have it on the front end. It's something you learn as you go. You see, the joy from the relationship that you have with Christ demands that you actually develop that relationship. Those of you that have been married 10, 15, 20, and even farther into your marriage know that if you put the work in, it gets better. Right? Amen? Tell our young people that. Amen. But if you don't put the work in, it doesn't get better. Why do we expect a joy-saturated, peace-filled relationship with Jesus if we put no work into that relationship? We're crazy, right? 
If you put no time, no effort, no energy, no investment, no oneness, no heart unification in with Jesus Christ, why would you expect that Christianity would be the thing that brings you joy, peace, and comfort? Why? It doesn't work like that in any other relationship. So Jesus promises you, you relate to me, you walk with me, you learn from me, you let me lead you. I will give you rest. That's the promise of this relationship. But you've got to work at it. You've got to get into it. You've got to care about it. You've got to invest. You've got to be yoked to him. But if you're not, you're going to be an outsider looking at all these promises and just grumbling because you don't have it. And the blame lies at our feet. Because the place that he offers this rest is your soul. The deepest part of you. You see, Jesus, all of us are looking for rest, looking for relief from the burdens that we carry, the burdens that we bear. We want relief from those things. And Jesus is more than a temporary distraction from what's bothering you. He is more than a brief masking of the pain that you carry. You see, that's what we're doing when we mess around in this world with all these different trivial things. We're masking the pain. We're temporarily excusing ourselves from the burden and responsibility of life. And then when that temporary moment is over, what do we do? Back to the burdens, right? Back to the grind. Jesus is not a temporary removal from the burden and then back to it. He is, in fact, a transformation of your soul that your soul then is no longer burdened. But if all you want is temporary relief, that's the short-term fix for a long-term problem. Jesus Christ is the transformer of your soul that gives your soul the kind of peace and joy and rest that you can have regardless of circumstances, regardless of people, and even regardless of your failings. You can have it. You see, Jesus Christ, when he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Knows how to give rest because he had rest, but willingly gave that rest up so they could give it to you. When he says, take my yoke upon you, what he's saying is, let's make an exchange here. You have yoked yourself to your life, to your sin. And that sin is burdening you down, it's dragging you down, it's leading you to a place that saps life from you. And Jesus willingly went onto the cross and took that yoke of sin and said, I'll carry the burden of your sin. And I'll live the life you were supposed to live. And when I die on the cross and I go into the grave and I resurrect back to life, I'm going to bring with me a yoke that has a life of perfection and a life of joy and a life of peace that you can yoke yourself to me and be one with me. And when we walk together, you will discover what rest is. You see this word rest that Jesus uses is not relief from your fatigue. It's not what it is. It's not an escape from your responsibilities. See, when we think about rest, we usually think about being responsible and then taking a nap, right? Oh, I'll just get to that later. I need to rest. When Jesus talks about rest, what he means is the deep soul satisfaction that you experience when a job is done right. You know that feeling? This is not absent of work. This is when a job is done right and you go, that was done well. And I feel so satisfied even if I'm tired. When Jesus offers you is a life that is perfect, his life. That when you look at his life and God looks at you and you are in Jesus Christ, he says, I see a life, a project that was done right. Do you see what happened? Jesus became the guy in the classroom that does all the work. (laughs) You became the slacker. (laughs) You said, oh, who should I partner with? Jesus. He'll get an A. 
And even though you and I deserved an F, the teacher looks at you and says, this project was done well. I am so satisfied with it. You get an A and you go on to the life that you wanted. Now, if you and I are the slackers in that situation, we haven't done our part, but we're standing there with Jesus in the front of the classroom and the PowerPoint's over and God looks at us and says, you did a good job. I'm satisfied. How do you think about Jesus? You look at him and you say, thank you so much. I'll walk with you. I'll partner with you wherever you go. Some of you need to stop trying to do this project all by yourself. Some of you need to stop asking other people to fix your project for you. Your life finds its answer, its solution, being yoked to Jesus Christ. And it's about time you do that. Let's stand and sing.